As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast coming to you from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly, I'm joined on the podcast today by Jack Pitbrook and James Moore. And I guess we should say that the story at Spurs never stops changing, does it? And uh, yesterday we thought we might have to just concentrate largely on the Brighton and Hove Albion FA Cup tie. And it's always tricky talking about matches that are going to happen. It's much easier to talk about ones that we already have the facts to hand already happened. But Steve Hitchin resigned and has left the club yesterday, leaving us with something I think really important to talk about. Jack, let me start with you. The news that he's left the club. You wrote a long article. I mean, I don't know where you find the time to do all these things. A long article in The Athletic about it. I thought it was really a really good insight into what he was doing. Tell us, A, was it a surprise? And B, the main thrust of your of your feelings about his time at Tottenham Hotspur? So it wasn't a a huge. I wasn't. I wasn't expecting it yesterday afternoon, but it wasn't a huge surprise. There had been whispers for a while that he was probably going to leave, although unsubstantiated whispers at that point. I think, in a broader sense, it was kind of inevitable that he would leave at some point after Paratici came in last June. So. Prasci and Hitchin are have been close friends for years and have worked very closely together since Prasci came in. And Paratici has been, you know, Hitchin, sorry, has been able to give Prasci a bit of guidance on, you know, what's it like in English football and how do things work at Tottenham. And he's been a sort of sounding board to the players as Tottenham move into the new era, all that stuff. But he hasn't been making the decisions. You know, there's only so much power to go around at a football club, and. Paratici has clearly been the one who pushed for the appointment of Nuno. Paratici clearly has done all the transfers in the last two windows, and Hitchin hasn't been involved in those windows. And so Hitchin's power within the club has really been massively undermined, and I think that that really is the main reason why he resigned this week. I noticed a phrase in your in your piece that uh, said he had been reduced, according to one club insider, 
to bibs and balls a bit. Had he become a highly paid version of Pat Rice? A bit, yeah. I mean, all you know, football clubs are full of people who do that kind of you know people on the coaching team who do that kind of job. And there's a lot of importance, you know, important stuff that Hitchin had been working on. I gather, for example, you know, spending Christmas Day on the phone trying to get the Crystal Palace game on that kind of thing but yeah like his his powers were greatly diminished you know in back in the Pochettino era he was very close to Pochettino and they tried to do all the signings together and obviously that's not what it's like anymore Paratici you've got Levy, Conte, Paratici as the big three decision makers at the football club and Hitchin is not part of that anymore and hasn't been really ever since Paratici came in and hasn't really I mean he hasn't really made an important decision at the club since then so in that sense, I think it was kind of inevitable that he would walk at some point, even though if he'd if he'd really wanted to, I'm sure he probably could have stayed and picked up his money for as long as he wanted. James, is this a big story or do, do the inner workings of football clubs not matter to the fans? They just want to see success on that, on that rectangle of grass. Well, I would say if Twitter is anything to go by, I mean, Steve Hitchin has probably been the, mo- been the most tweeted about employee of Tottenham Hotspur certainly over the last month maybe even over the last of 18 months since that documentary where he said he hated the January transfer window so I imagine to those people it it is quite a significant piece of news it's quite difficult to know I think with with people in these roles exactly how good they are in the moment I I feel like you only really kind of find out a few years down the line so say say Damian Comoli Comoli Yep. Whichever way you want to go with that, Danny. I know you're particular about these things. Well, Char- Charlie um, has trained me up. <laughs> um, when he when he was sacked in, what would it have been, like October 2008, I think everyone thought he was a bit of a joke and that, you know, he was no good. They were better off without him. The, the signings he'd made were bad and, it, you know, it had all been a complete waste of time in that project. But actually, if you look back at it, he signed Berbatov, Modric, Bale, you know, and then people like Asu Okoto, who were fairly obscure picks from French football that went on to be like mm. very good Premier League players. So actually he was obviously very good and it maybe took a little bit longer for people to kind of realise, you know, for those players to establish themselves and then for it to become clear that he had done a good job. And, you know, maybe that won't happen with Hitchin because the signings he was involved with have kind of come earlier in his time with the club than than, than commonly said. Obviously those ones like Modric and Bale were right at the end. But, you know, it, without knowing who has been involved in which deals and who has tried to do what without things being, you know, f- falling apart for whatever reason, it's kind of hard to say, isn't it, whether or not oh, abs- he did a good or a bad job? Well, absolutely. I mean, that is, uh, I've got to get, excuse me, while I'm trying to get a lot of thoughts. Um, I wouldn't pretend they're brilliant, but I, they're, they're complicated. I'm trying to put them into a head together. These roles, whether you're called sporting director, director of football, let's talk about the, the let's talk about the, the middle management and the buffers and the, between the manager and the, and the and the owners and the people who are you know looking at uh, transfers and putting the transfers through. I mean, there, there are a couple of issues with them. One, it seems to me that there is no accountability whatsoever. Clubs, and I'm not just from my Spurs, but clubs sign footballers, they fail, they succeed, and it's, it tends to be the manager who gets. Um, the sack because the team doesn't function properly and these fellas move on from one club to another to another, just as Steve Hitchin has done, just as Damien Camoli has done. And in truth, I also think that these people have added to some of the bigger problems inside the game itself. Um, it seems to me that what they have become very adept at, you know, they know the inner workings of the game, to use the inverted commas, and they they know how to get these things done. What they've done 
is taken the absolute dysfunction of organizations who can't afford player A or player B's wages and finding ways to make that work so that every, so the gravy train moves on. And even this in, in, the, in the recent transfer window, Spurs are a great example. They let Deli Alli go on a deal that may or may not see them get any money off Everton. They let Tanky and Dombele uh, go to Leon with this, but with this buying back clause in it for, for Leon. That everybody with a brain in their heads know that Leon do not have half the money. Never mind all of the money that were required to make that transfer go through. They've got these things done by making up stuff in the financial world, and I think it's added at every level of the game to, I'd say, to use that word again, dysfunction, and also the, the, the fragility of football at top level, all of which has led to the tremor of the European Super League. And it's also, just to finish this point, Hitchin, I suspect, was on his way out, Jack, partially because the clear-out that Paratici has seen, overseen, he couldn't do it. They're his players. So if you're clearing them out, I'd obviously reasonable, a huge loss in some cases to the club, you're going to get people just going to say, well, what's going on there? I don't think that I, th- I think that last point is not true at all. Hitchin and Pochettino wanted to clear these players out. That's one of the big reasons mm-hmm. why okay. I think James is right that it's very difficult to judge any of these executives in isolation. You have to take them in the broader context. And cl- I think one of the reasons, like clearly, the recruitment under Hitchin was not good in the last few years. Like they haven't signed players who have made a diff- who have improved the Tottenham first team for a sure. while. That's that's very obvious. But I think one of the reasons for that is the fact that Hitchin and Pochettino wanted Levy to refresh the squad by selling players back in, you know, in 2017, 2018, 2019, Mm. in a way they didn't really do. And certainly if, you know, if Hitchin had got his way and Pochettino had come back last summer, which was Hitchin's idea and that he was pushing for, then certainly they would have cleared out a lot of those guys who happened, who had played for them in the past. So I don't think there's any sense of like misguided, misguided loyalty to old Pochettino players. If anything, the the person who was excessively loyal to the Pochettino team was Levy. It was Levy who didn't want to sell who didn't want to sell these guys. I appreciate we're going over to old ground mm. here, but no, no, it, I did want to make that clear. But I do, no, no, I do. And, and the other thing I want to say is that, I mean, you you are right that the football the world of football transfers is grubby, but you still need scouts. You know, you still need people to go and watch the players and watch the DVDs and do the stats and speak to the agents and all that kind of thing. Interestingly, I just want to sorry backtrack here slightly before we get really down into the minutia of what these people are doing. He's gone, as you say, Jack, with people hounding him really on, on social media over the past um, four to six weeks. Just to return to another thing, Deli Alley, um, we talked about him a lot on Monday and, and James made a tearful and impassioned exposition of, of what exactly has gone on with him. Have you been surprised by the how that has been absolutely reflected and magnified in social media, obviously that's the place where it's been happening. I mean, really proper outpouring of love for Deli Alley. Yeah, it has been quite striking how mm. much, yeah, j- just how much people love Deli. Like they really, really love him, and the fact that he's, the fact that he's not really done much in the last three years or whatever is not has not been held against him at all. And you know, this is not. I'm certainly not suggesting it should have been, but. It, it could have been, for example, but it wasn't. You know, everyone's been really, really positive. They've got very people have got been very emotional, understandably so, about his message on it on social media, and that I think he posted like a video clip with some of his best goals in, and people have been sharing their favourite Delhi Ali moments and favourite Delhi goals. So yeah, it has it has been really striking. 
even the, even the, the the club's goodbye video, which I'm not sure we'd seen James when we talked on Monday, was itself I thought rather affectionate. It's certainly certainly yeah. more than you'd expect for an outgoing player being let go, as I say, for a possibility of nothing. <laughs> I mean, it did really shine a light on the Celso and Ndombele, didn't it? I mean, I know oh, no, absolutely, light, absolutely. But I mean, just the idea, it was like a sort of 60-word statement about Ndombele and, and the Celso. But Deli Ali, uh, well, actually, the written piece, I don't think, was much longer. But obviously, they had all these videos and graphics prepared and tweets from pretty much every player at the club, you know, and some of the past players as well. Yeah, I think that's probably... I mean, imagine if you're Kulazewski or Bentancur, you arrive at the club on that day and you see... Like all these tweets for this player who's just left and like that, that outpouring of emotion. Well, I hopefully if you're, I can't work out whether that'd be good or bad. As oh a no, good. If you're a positive person, I don't hope that they're both positive people would go. Well, look at the reception people get in this club, even when they're useless for years. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I, I'm, I'm going to do much better than that, and I'm going to get you know a two-hour film about me, an epic produced by Christopher Nolan when I leave the club. I, I just wanted to just reflect back on that because it's, to me, I can't remember a, a, a player leaving. To this kind of applause, it's extraordinary. And if you consider, let's say, the Modric transfer, the Bale transfer, the amount of money Spurs were getting in, which would, you'd think, at least assuage people about it, it's the Delhi Alley transfer that's caused an outpouring. I think it might be grief about the, about the Champions League team or the 2017 team, actually. I think these, as we get to the last knockings of that side and, it, and its management, background management team leaving the club, I think people may be just using that as a, as a slight conduit for their grief about that, which we will all, we will all have to, um, me and James particularly, get over sooner or later. Because with McDermott, with, this is something that I tried to convey in my, in my piece, but obviously McDermott, as well as Hitchin, were very close with Pochettino and still are. And so if you combine all the players that they've... So what, last summer they lost to Soko, Lamella, Toby, Danny Rose... How many, you know, there's not an awful lot left, really. There's just Sonny, Kane, and Hugo, Ben Davis, Dyer. I think there's four, four, four players who started that Champions League final, I think. Yeah, left. that, that yeah. seems like a normal rotation. That would be a normal yeah. rotation. Yeah, probably, yeah, it, yeah. it is normal, but it's, but it's, it's, it's happened in a spasm, kind of hasn't it? Exactly, yeah. They didn't do it when they should have done it, and now it's all come in one go a bit kind of down the line. And I do think... It just underlines the fact that, you know, the Pochettino era isn't coming back. Like, I had someone, you know, some, someone tweeted me earlier saying, yeah. do, you, do you think Pochettino might come back now? And it's like, no, like, it was, there was a slim chance of doing that last summer. It's less likely now. Is it, would you say that Pochettino coming back is less yeah. likely now yeah. that has gone? It, d- definitely. That's it, the thing these people on Twitter need to realise, I think. Yeah. That's a, lot of, a lot of those these people who moan about Hitchin yeah. not liking the January transfer window need to realise that that was way more likely to happen with him. Yeah, than it was Hitchin him. who drove the attempt to bring Pochettino back. Like, Hitchin and Pochettino talk all the time. Hitchin and Pochettino, you know, Hitchin had been speaking to Pochettino at the back end of last season about possibly coming back. They talked seriously about it. Obviously, it wasn't possible because of PSG. And now that he's out of the, now that Hitchin's left the club, I don't think it is possible for Pochettino to come back because it was never, they brought, like, Levy brought Paratici in when the attempts to get Pochettino collapsed. So really, it was either Pochettino or Paratici. It was never, like, Pochettino and Paratici was never going to be possible. He's going to go to Everton. Yeah. Pochettino. To, and, to, and get the best out of Dele Alli again. Do you really yeah. think so? No, but it sounds no. good on a podcast. It does sound good on a podcast. Well, that's the thing, is that it's well, like... They'll clip that out and put that on Twitter. Yeah, so can Dele... Like, that, that's kind of the question, really, for Everton, is Dele needs... 
a kind of Poch type figure, and it's like, is Lampard as good as Pochettino? That's going to be the big question. Can, <laughs> can Lampard? Sorry, James is just kind of choked on his coffee there. He was certainly doing the, the personal touch in that uh, little piece of uh, film that Everton uh, released of the two of them meeting each other like long lost brothers. Uh, so David Brent. So David Brent. <laughs> oh, he's a chill. He is a chilled out manager, isn't he, uh, Frank? It was, uh, <laughs> I don't and, think he's very chilled out, to be honest, Danny. Uh, no, there was that weird. That was that weird moment when they they had discussion uh, about masks indoors at Goodison Park or the training ground, wherever it was, where which you would have thought, if you're going to make a little film like that, you might have dis, dis, decided all that in advance. But the, when you said he's going to end up at Everton, I, wasn't, I, thought, I didn't think you were talking about Pochettino. I thought you were talking about Steve Hitchin, in which case it's going to be no, no. a lovely reunion for him and Delhi. Oh, no, so Steve, sorry. All yeah. of them. De- James, we would, I thought you meant Pochettino. He did. He did. Yeah, he did. Sorry, Steve yeah. Hitchin is, I think, I mean, obviously, Mashiri wants him at Everton. Nothing's agreed or done yet. I think he's probably favourite for that job to replace Marcel Brands, but, you know, you never know un- until it's done with these things. Actually, these le- leak into, because this, well, this uh, version of this edition of the podcast was supposed to be readers' questions, or as I like to call it, you do all the work. But then some of the questions were about Steve Hitchin. Alex Goodall says, did Hitchin really improve the squad in his time at Spurs? given the disappointing transfer windows and expensive signings. I'll aim this at you, James. So when did he arrive? 2017? Yeah, February 2017. Five years ago this month. I, mean, I mean, I think purely if you're looking, if you're looking at that, you'd say no. Or, or, or at least the squad didn't improve over that period of time. I don't, I don't really think you can... I mean, when would you say was the peak of that team? What Pochettino thinks is 2016-17 season and then the yeah. first half of the 2017-18 season. In terms of like their ability to play Pochettino's style of football, it was that 18-month period. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. So Hitchin arrived in the middle of that kind of peak period. So, I mean, look, that, that's not a great reflection for him, is it? He arrived in the middle of that peak period and then it's basically a, a steady downward slope for the next five years. I mean, it, 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 the part of this is this weird paralysis that Spurs had in the transfer market, which Steve Hitchin over, oversaw, which was based on the statement, and I'm not saying this is wrong, that they couldn't improve the first 11. And you could argue that here we are five years down from there. It's five years since that team was doing its thing. And you could argue that the only positions in which the players are as good or better than the ones they had in that team are the three where the players are still the same, the goalkeeper, the centre forward and, and so on. My point being, whatever the, the, the arrangements between the owner, the coaches, the, the, the directors of football, is that they, we have not upgraded in any one of those positions in the intervening five years. And here's the, here's the kicker. The one that could do it, you think, would be Romero, who I think has the, has the, it looks to me to have the ability and the attitude to be a really brilliant Premier League centre-back. The problem is, could he be better than Jan Vertonghen or Toby Alderweireld. It's a lot to ask. Yeah, I mean, clearly, I mean, I, I agree with you on Romero. I think Romero is probably the best player they've signed for about five years, uh, which is saying something. And look, there, there is no getting past the fact that the signings have not worked for a while, really. Not really since Lucas, arguably, what, January 2018. That that all said, the point, I'm, the point I, I don't want to get lost in this is that the signings are, you shouldn't look at the signings too much in isolation, and that the circumstance is not... Ndombele, in my view, I can't believe we're doing the Ndombele argument again, but here we are. <laughs> you Ndombele, love Ndombele was a great player at Lyon and a good signing for Spurs to, to do. 
and someone who Pochettino desperately wanted. Pochettino told him, you know, Pochettino and Hitchin agreed he was the right player to do. They went and got him. Levy agreed and paid the money. And then when Pochettino gets sacked, then it's all out the window. You know, Pochettino had a plan to integrate Ndombele and turn him, you know, get him ready to the Premier League. And he didn't expect anything really from him in the first season because he knew it'd take him a long time to adjust. But, and Ndombele really wanted to come and be part of this. You know, Ndombele could have gone to Real Madrid or Juventus or PSG or Man United or Arsenal or anywhere, really. Remember how popular he was in the 2019 window with all the big clubs. But he chose to come to Tottenham to learn from Pochettino and be developed by Pochettino. And, then, you know, four months later, Levy sacks Pochettino and gets in Jose Mourinho. And suddenly all of those plans that M- Poch had for Ndombele out of the window. And so that's what, and obviously, you know, since then it hasn't worked. But I think that's why you can't, you can't judge Hitchin's signings independent of the fact that they sacked the manager he bought them to play for. Just like you can't judge Hitchin's signings independent of the fact that Levy didn't, you know, it was difficult to refresh the squad. And I don't even completely blame Levy for that because Levy sure. was busy building a £1.2 billion stadium, which frankly is far more important to the long-term health and viability of the club than, you know, even buying Jack Grealish in 2018, which they failed to do, or buying Wilfred Zaha or any of the other players that they might have wanted to buy. I mean, I, I hear you, and, I, and it's, it's one of the themes, or I'll say, of the piece you've written in, in The Athletic, about you can't judge any one of these people in isolation. The problem with that, James, though, is you end up then nobody is responsible. Yeah, that is, I mean, that is the difficulty, isn't it? It's not a court of law. Nobody has to be found guilty, but surely there has to be some level of responsibility. And I include Tange and Dombele in that as well. I mean, you say no one's responsible, but Ndombele has been biffed out the club. How many managers have they rattled through since well, Ndombele says five, Spurs and it's yeah. not worked out? And Hitchin Hitchin's has- left. Quit, but it, it sounds, you know, maybe he was going to get sacked if uh, if he didn't quit. So, actually, all of the people involved in that <laughs> have actually now left the club. Well, or, except or, or with, what, with one very high up exception. Oh, sure. Okay, fine. Uh, Luke Warner, will Hitchin be missed? Again, we have no reason way, way of knowing that. Is he likely to be replaced? Will they appoint somebody else? Or is Parastri no, now the so, man? I don't think so, because his... Because his role, I mean, I think technically his job title was technical performance director over the last few years. But really his, you know, as I said at the top of the show, his role has been very much diminished since Parashi came in. And while he did have a job, you know, kind of introducing Parashi to the to the club and to the Premier League and to the, to the players and being a sounding board for the players in the new era, all that stuff, like clearly over time, he was less and less important to the operation of the club. Clearly, he didn't have any say on managers or signings, which is, you know, the big juicy stuff when it comes to running a football club. So he won't be being directly replaced. You know, Tottenham, I don't think are desperate to go and and get someone else in. That said, Tottenham are currently bringing, you know, they have been in the process of bringing in kind of scouts and analysts on a lower level, you know, who will be reporting up to Paratici. But there's, uh, they won't be directly replacing Hitchin, I don't think. James, I'm going to return, having had that conversation to you, to uh, repeat almost the, the question I asked you earlier. You heard my own confusion about what they're all doing. Does, does this all matter to, to, to the supporters? I think it, uh, I guess looking at Twitter, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, people are obsessed with transfers yeah. now. It's like we were talking about earlier, or last week. People are way more obsessed with transfers than they are with results, really. Like you'll see more moaning and groaning about. Uh, you know, uh, uh, like that Diaz deal not happening last week or, or Traore, you know, even if you listen to this podcast, you would have heard a lot yeah. of that. 
probably than you do. You know, we, we talked about Traore on that podcast last week for as long as we talked about that dreadful Chelsea game the week before, probably. I mean, that, mm. I, and I, <clears throat> I think that's reflective of fans in general. I'm not, I don't think we're like the outlier there. And I think that ties into the thing Jack said. I think it was, sorry, and apologies if that's wrong. It wasn't you, Jack. But that you, you, you live as a fan now 24-7 rather than just on a match yep. day. And you have to kind of fill that time and void with thinking about other stuff. And clearly for at least, what, kind of four months a year when transfer windows are open, people are thinking about transfer. So, yeah, pe- people are utterly obsessed. Oh, by the way, I'm not, I'm not picking myself outside. No, no. I'm very yeah. much the same. But people are utterly obsessed with transfers. So, so it is important. Uh, la- <laughs> yeah, sorry, yes, it is. A, yes. la- a last one then on this. Uh, Ryan Oakes, um, and these are, of course, we asked you for your questions. It turns out that Hitchin left is an important issue. Um, Ryan Oakes says, to what extent has Levy actually removed himself from the football side of things? And what is the dynamic like between him and Paratici? What is the current dynamic then, to use that word, that, uh, that Ryan has asked about? Levy is still very much involved. I know when Parachi came in, it was said that, you know, Parachi would be running the football side of the club and Levy would leave that to him. And in some sense, that's been the case. So, you know, Parachi is very much the eyes and ears at the training ground every day. He's the one who sees the players day to day. It's not, Levy is far less present at the training ground this season than he was last season. You know, Levy would always be there last season having coffee with Mourinho and, and everything whereas this year Levy's barely really been there it's been very much left to you know to Parachi and previously and until last week Hitchin to talk to both Nuno and Conte that said ultimately the decision to replace Nuno with Conte which a lot of people have put down to Parachi I think was more to do with Levy than it was to do with Parachi wow. it was a, driven by Levy he lined it up he got it done so I think Levy absolutely deserves credit on that point and even in the course of the transfer window you know we, me and Charlie did a, a piece on this the other day clearly Kulosevsky and Bentan Kerr who they ended up with from Juventus were very much driven by Paratici Adama Traore who they chased after was driven after Paratici but I understand that the uh, the move for Luis Diaz which obviously failed was more from the Levy side you know he was a player that it, it was kind of Levy's decision to focus less on Traore and then on Diaz instead, even though they ended up with neither. So in a, in a sense, Levy is still very much involved. And I, to be honest, I think everyone who has, everyone who has had a big job in a, at Tottenham on the recruitment side, whether that's Hitchin, Mitchell, Comley, Baldini, Arneson. Wow. Uh, what a I'm list. Sure, I'm sure I'm missing some. Yeah, have found. You say Mitchell? Yeah, yeah. Have found that you know ultimately it's Daniel Levy FC. You know Daniel Levy is the most, I think, the most powerful exec in football. Like there's no one really who runs the club like he does in terms of his domination of the whole sphere of the club, if that's the right way of putting it. And that means that the idea that there's just one man in charge of recruitment isn't really true. You know, there's always you know. Daniel Levy has to sign off on everything, and understandably so. So, so there's a long way of saying yes, he is still involved. Uh, just during some of that, James, um, people listening to the podcast can't see it. You were you were screwing your face up. <laughs> yeah, it was just the idea of it being Daniel Levy FC, and I'm, I was just I was just picturing the reaction to that. Well, and what do you think that reaction would be? How, do, share share, <laughs> I, I share the picture with us. I don't imagine people would be too impressed by that, but um, I, you know, I think I think the reality is that that model hasn't always necessarily worked badly for Spurs. 
No, not at all. I think it's worked. And you were talking about continuity yeah. as well, by the way, and accountability and like, you know, having a figurehead like that isn't always a bad thing, is it? I mean, obviously, sometimes it is. And sometimes decisions have been wrong. And sometimes I'm sure there's been ego involved. But if you look at the way some other clubs have been run over, look, look I mean, look, we know over the last three or four years, there have been a lot of decisions that in hindsight or very quickly have seemed like big mistakes. But if you span it back yeah. a decade, maybe, you would probably say it was at least as much good as bad. Definitely. Which, which if you look at some other clubs, you know, sure. including yeah. the club that Deli Ali has just joined, say, and uh, Hitchin may be about to join, there have probably been way more bad decisions than good, Completely. than good ones. So, And I would always defend, I would always defend Levy on this point, which, and I, I often get criticised by people both on the internet and in real life for being too pro-Levy. The fact is, Levy is playing the game on difficult mode. You know, if this was a video game, he's got to watch City and Chelsea playing on easy mode because they've yep. got billions and billions to spend. And Tottenham don't have billions and billions. Or they don't, sorry, they don't spend billions and billions. They've built their own stadium, unlike some people. And they've had to try and, you know, they've had to, with basically the sixth biggest budget or seventh biggest budget, whatever it winds up being, had to try and get into the Champions League and compete with teams who are playing a different game. So obviously Levy's got a lot wrong. I think we've been very, you know, we've been very pointed about the stuff that he has got wrong, I think. And, you know, in, it's, and you know, and all this does tie back to Hitchin in the sense that Hitchin, it's impossible to evaluate like was Hitchin good or was Hitchin bad, mm-hmm. independent of the context, which is, to be honest, Tottenham's strategic drift, for want of a better phrase, during the second half of the Pochettino era, which itself is impossible to isolate from the fact they had to buy and pay for a £1.2 billion stadium. Which meant that I think that was a big factor in why they couldn't give Pochettino the backing, which meant why they had to sack him, and now they've had this weird three years jumping around different competing ideas. So you can't you can't take Hitchin out of the context of everything else going on at the football club. I understand people's frustration with Daniel Levy, with Enoch, with Joe Lewis, whoever whichever whoever is the the face that to you represents um, Spurs not crashing through uh, a glass ceiling of uh, and becoming uh, Real Madrid. I do understand it. And it, it it seems to me to be coming from all sections of Spurs supporters, not just the young ones, the internet Spurs fans. And I don't want, that's not meant to be in any way disparaging. The world changes and people's way of consuming culture changes all the time. But, you know, the context, I I can still remember, God, I can remember some of the awful teams we had a while ago, but even the turn of this century, all right, it's 20 years ago, I get it. But I can remember Paul standing in a slightly dilapidating White Hart Lane, beloved by me. I mean, I would never adopt it down, but then I'm, you know, I'm not a businessman. And remembering Glenn Hoddle scraping around for veteran free transfers to try and keep Spurs in mid-table. I remember we spent, I think Spurs spent about six million pounds on Christian Zieger, and it was greeted as this great breakthrough because they bought one player who wasn't either A, an ex-Wimbledon defender, or B, was seeing out the latter days of their career. Poet would be a good example, with occasional flashes of their once consistent brilliance. I mean, the club is transformed. The problem is people always want more. And I don't I don't say that as a problem. That is the issue. So people always want more. And Steve Hitchin is part of that. Let's move on to um, another question. I think this is a, Jack. Um, I know you had to go to bed and take paracetamol for two days um, after Ndombele left. But of course, there is still hope on the horizon for you because he, of course, he will be back. He will be back if it's only for one day uh, to pick up his stuff for another transfer because, you know, Leon do not have the kind of money 
that would be required to fulfill those. Of course, that can all be negotiated by whoever is the director of football by the time the summer comes around. And Dombele, this is Pablo, who says, and Dombele mentioned he could be back at Spurs next year. What percentage chance do you think that he will knuckle down, realise Conte can unlock him and get back into the Spurs team? I mean, James, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you go first on this while, while Jack gather, you know, sorts out his tissue situation. Percentage chance? I mean, I, I, the, the percentage chance of him being back at Spurs and being in the squad next season, I would put at maybe 50%. Yeah. The percentage chance of, of the rest of that, of the knuckling down and realising, you know, Conte can unlock him, I, I would, you'd have to put... Maybe thirty-three percent, maybe lower than that. I just—it's no, hard to tell, isn't it? I think that, I think there's a very good. I think there's a good chance he'll be back at this, back in the squad next season because I think it's going to be difficult to sell him for the reasons you outlined there. And if he is back, I, I, I mean, I don't know who's to say. I, I, I'm not convinced sending him back to Leon or him going back to Leon, and I'm sure he wasn't unhappy about that. Is necessarily the best thing to give him a kick up the backside to come back to Tottenham and push on. Or to kind of, you know, push on beyond Spurs and get a move to a, a top club like he seems to want. I just think he's just going to be a bit comfortable at Leon. and he's going to probably do quite well. I kind of think people will look at it and say, well, he can do it at Leon, but he didn't yeah. do it at Spurs. So I'm not saying there'll be no interest, yeah. but I think it would definitely be on playing on other clubs' minds that, you know, we've seen this before him do well and then go to another club and not work out. I think if he'd gone to yeah, somewhere in Italy or Germany or wherever and done it, then it would be more likely. But I think if he just goes back to Lyon and does it again comfortably in France with a bit less pressure, I just don't, you know, I just don't think that Bayern Munich or Juventus or Inter or whoever are then going to say, oh, actually, oh, this yeah, guy yeah, who's of course. been hot and cold Tango. for two years, now he's been good in France for four months, actually, maybe we should go. I think it would have been much better if he'd gone to PSG simply because he would yeah. have been working with Pochettino. Also, if you go to if you go from Tottenham to PSG, you can kind of, it, I mean, it's a step up, you know, it's the team that's in the Champions League that's competing for the French title. He could sell it to, you know, he would probably feel, it would be probably, probably be good for his ego to go and play for a bigger and better team. And they have the money. And they've got the money, whereas I just... So I think if he'd gone there, I had some confidence that, oh yeah, he might do really well and then they can obviously they can afford to buy him and maybe it work out. I I agree, like, this is not a loan that is going to get made permanent, clearly, because the numbers involved. In terms of him coming back and playing next season, well, he's clearly going to be back in the building next season uh, while they try and find a new home. But, you know, we should remember what happened after the Morecambe game. Like, they, he wasn't training with the group. Conte was Conte was completely made up his mind that Ndombele wouldn't be playing for him. He didn't have the right attitude or the right qualities to be in the team. And Conte, I mean, Conte just doesn't really... Conte does not strike me as, like, a forgiving man <laughs> on this kind of point. He doesn't strike me as being, oh, you know what, he's all right. Come come back in, Tangy, all is forgiven. No chance. I th- I would imagine that while I think Ndombele will start next season at Hotspur Way, I don't think he'll be pulling on a Tottenham shirt again for Conte. And I think they will, you know, Perastri will have to find him another club. I mean, the hard facts are they've signed another central midfielder and a guy who we think maybe could play as number 10. So that in itself will massively decrease his chance of getting matches, won't it? Which turns me around actually to, uh, I'd love to know the answer to this, but I'll, I'll pose a, a question and, and two observations. Uh, the last round of, for Spurs fans, the last round of South American World Cup qualifiers were truly fascinating. The game that was televised saw Giovanni Lo Celso again playing really well as a kind of right side of a midfield three. 
for Argentina and played a couple of really good passes into penalty area. But the highlight for me was Davidson Sanchez, because they were playing Colombia, booting him straight up in the air, first chance that he got. And I wondered whether this was a reflection of something beyond the mere uh, international rivalry between those two countries. Sanchez boosted him straight up in the air. And of course, how many, because it wasn't televised on any Serbs I could find happily here in the Republic of Ireland, how many Spurs fans went to a hooky feed to watch Uruguay and were still fiddling with the buffering when uh, Bentancourt actually scored a first-minute goal for Uruguay, which was a nice enough finish, although it was a shambles of, of defending in the first minute. Um, it, it was interesting watching all of those things. Uh, you've all seen Bentancourt's goal, have you? So we're all now convinced yeah. it's going to yeah, be yeah. good, yeah? Straight into yeah, the they're team. looking good. It's like the, the like, like the fourth goal of his career. Yes. So I'm not. I'm not sure. That's. I think that might be an outlier. I think what? they're one win away. For, if they if they they got two games left in March. Yeah. If they win their first one, I think they're basically there in fourth place, which means automatic qualification for Qatar. So regardless of what goes on with with Lo Celso, it looks like uh, hopefully Bentanka and Romero will will be there. Although it's not looking so good for Sanchez's Colombia at the moment no, in terms it, of making it to Qatar. Let's have a quick break. And when we come back, we'll, uh, I mean, uh, also, can we just bring a huge sigh of relief for the actual return of physical football, people playing the game and not just arguing about transfers on Twitter? Spurs got a cup tie against Brighton. We'll talk about that and its importance to the club next here on The View from the Lane. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You're listening to The View from the Lane. Just to remind you of the voices, I'm Danny Kelly. Alongside me, I'd like to say, of course, Jack Pitt-Brook and James Moore from The Athletic. Gentlemen, the return of actual football. I mean, this has seemed like the something about the way COVID, the international break and the transfer window have combined have, have made this seem like the, the almost a, 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 a whole, a whole mid-season. It's been like there's been no football. It's been like the summer. Um, I'm very, very delighted, not just for Spurs, but to see lots and lots of football coming back. I've been reduced to watching Belgian football over the weekend. Go on, Union, win that title. So this weekend, it's an FA Cup tie against Brighton. How seriously will Antonio Conte be taking this, James? 
I mean, given it's our only chance of a trophy now, I would imagine. I would imagine very seriously. I mean, his attitude to domestic cups. I think when he was at Chelsea was was pretty good. Obviously, not Spurs out of the FA Cup in 2017. So yeah, I would. I would imagine he'll play quite a strong team. I guess I'll have an eye on the midweek game, the Southampton game on Wednesday. But with two new players in, I mean, I suppose I suppose that lack of depth or, or less depth that we talked about at the start of the week may be a factor in exactly how much he can rotate. But I imagine he'll play quite a strong team for this game. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Ben Tanker is going to be around, presumably, having only just flown back from sure. South America. But I don't. I mean, I suppose there's work permit issues that I don't think, as we record this, either player actually has theirs yet, which uh, is <laughs> obviously slightly ominous. But I would imagine he'll play quite a strong team. I mean, Son is supposed to be back, isn't he? So uh, it does actually give another option up front if they do want to change it. How bit. close is Romero? Do you know, Jack? Well, he's been back training. He's been back in full training with the team. So hopefully he'll come, he will come straight back in. It's kind of, yeah, it's weird. He's only played two games for Conte and he was sent off in the second one of those. So well, We don't know whether Conte even fancies him, do we? Yeah, it's one of the great mysteries, really. Like, will will he do what... Will he? I mean, we've all got really high expectations and mm-hmm. I think he'll be really important for how they want to play because he's so aggressive, he's good on the ball, he can bring the ball forward. He can build, you know, we, we've all seen how bad their build-up from the back has been since he's been out. Particularly the combination of him and Dyer being out has been a nightmare for Tottenham's build-up. But if you've got Dyer and Romero in the back three with that alongside Davis, then the build-up should be much, much better. So, yeah, I've got high expectations. And looking, I'm just watching, honestly, I'm looking forward to watching him play because he's fun to watch play because he's aggressive and confident and believes in what he's doing on the pitch, which is like a big part of the fun. That is exactly the word I'd use. So far, what I've seen him is going to be great fun. Antonio Conte and fun central defenders. I'm I'm really finding difficult to construct a sentence where both of those things don't have a negative in the middle. Antonio Conte does not like fun uh, central defenders. Well, when, but, when they won the title in 1617 at Chelsea, he had David Luiz in the middle of his back three. Thank you. And that was, the, brilliant. That was the example I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, things are not always as they seem. And what about you, Jack? Do you think we'll see the full... I think you'll probably play pretty much a starting... The, the full first team for this game against Brighton. Not not least because Brighton are actually a very good team. Yeah, I don't see why he wouldn't. You know, I don't think it's... I'm not sure it would be a good look to rest and rotate at this point just to protect players for the Saints game next week. Also, he's not a big... Conte's not really a big guy for rotation. You know, he wants to play the same 11... He re, what he really wants to do is just play the same 11 players every week. That's always mm-hmm. been his secret. He's not one for playing complex rotation games with a 20-man squad. So in that sense, I'd probably expect to see Spurs at full beam. Would it be Royale or Doherty at right wing back? I'm not sure. Will Winks play in a three in the middle or will he go back to the good old 3-4-3 with Hoiberg and Skip? Will Bergwijn stay in the team or will it be Son, Kane, Lucas? I'd love to see Son back. Obviously, he's been injured since the Stamford Bridge League Cup defeat. But yeah, I imagine it'll be as close to full strength as he can get. Just on that issue of the right right wing back, uh, James, Matt Doherty's played a few games recently. Uh, Emerson Royal has been away um, in South America, although, of course, he... Uh, he, he had a break. He, yeah. he, had, he had a break because so only lasted 20 minutes in, in his uh, appearance for Brazil, where he was keeping um, keeping Danny Alves out of the team. How could Danny Alves still be around the Brazilian team? But there you are, he is. Um, who? This, I saw lots and lots of, again, speculation about you know converting Lucas Moura, converting Stephen Bergvine, and doing the here we go, bing, the Victor Moses trick with those. I mean, I I'm, I'm not, I'm not a great fan of either of those plans, I must say. So if I've made you 
advisor to Antonio Conte right now, who would you be starting at right wing back? I think if it was me, I, I think I would be going with Doherty, I think, for the time being. Just certainly to try that out. I mean, obviously you saw it for the last, well, for the second half of that Leicester game and it worked quite well. So yeah, I, I, I would go with, with Doherty for the next few games and just see how that works out. That's going to be the new, that's going to be the big like thing of sp- spring 2022 is the Matt Doherty comeback tour. You know, everybody wrote him off, but what if he was the answer that Spurs were looking for at right wing back all along? Honestly, second half of Le- at Leicester, you saw so- there was something there, something something dangerous, something unpredictable. He's got the X factor back. Uh, look, you're you're being se- you're being semi comical, but I think there's it's not a million. Am miles I, I don't even know, Danny. I genuinely don't know if I'm joking or not. Oh no, no. I, I, I mean, I'm loving your straight face. I wouldn't like to play poker against you. Um, not least because I hardly know the rules, and it would be it'd be very one sided, I presume. Now, Matt Doherty, he, he cannot have become from watching the way he played for two years for Wolves and the Republic of Ireland. He cannot have become a bad player. I'm going to say overnight, but it's been. You know, months since he, you know, showed what, what he, what, a year and a half since he showed what he was. But of course, that's the attitude he used to have to Deli Alley. Don't worry, this cannot go on. Classes, classes permanent, you know, apparently, and form is fleeting. But uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I agree with you, actually, for what it's worth, James. I, I give Doherty a go because I think in that very, it's a very, very cigarette paper thin piece of mathematics to do of defensiveness versus what you can do going forward. And as at the moment, while Spurs have got less creative players in and around the midfield, you've got to do something from the wings. And so at least, as uh, to use Jack's word, a little bit of chaos might be the answer to unraveling, unraveling these defences. I mean, clearly they do. This is kind of where what I'm most interested in seeing from Kulitewski and Bantankur when they get settled in is, can they help Spurs to create more from open play? Because I know they did they did create a lot in that Leicester game, quite perhaps surprisingly, in that 3-5-2 with Winks. Uh, as a six but I don't know if that's going to be the long-term plan because obviously the next game they went to this weird Mourinho-esque four, like 4-4-2 four, four, with double wing backs so I don't know if that's going to be the long-term plan and it was rubbish so it that's it's kind of the big open question really for February and March is now they've got these two new lads in and they've got rid of the guys who Conte wasn't having which I think is totally fair enough how are they going to create chances? Is it still going to be entirely through the wing backs? Is it going to be with, is one of these lads going to come and play as a 10? Are they going to have Kulosevsky in the Lucas Moura role? Are they going to have Bentan Kerr as a kind of deluxe Hoiberg figure? Like, I just I just don't know how it's going to work, but I'm quite looking forward to finding out. But those two magical moment, minutes, rather, against Leicester actually bring a kind of conflict into the heart of the club. Spurs' players, as currently constituted are best suited to a game that is chaotic. And Leicester are a very chaotic team just now. They score, they they can score goals. They've got good forward players. Madison's in great form, but they can't defend. Spurs' current crop of players are better when the game is chaotic. And that's the last thing the manager wants. I don't think Spurs' winner was chaotic in that game. Spurs' winner was an incredibly Conte goal. The way that like Hoiberg kind of sprung the trap in the middle of the pitch, Kane played that incredible forward pass from the central position through to Bergwijn's running behind. You know, I don't think that was even. I don't think that was particularly chaotic. I thought that looked incredibly coached watching it. So I, 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 hear, I hear entirely what you're saying, but you don't expect to get the ball back from the kickoff from the opposition. The game had become chaotic. I was trying to have a final thought there. 
but it's been Sorry. torpedoed but torpedoed by a mixture of knowledge and erudition. It was ever thus on the view from the lane, where I'm very delighted to have had Jack and James with us for the last uh, few minutes. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Remember, if you're not already a subscriber to Athletic, you can read all of our articles on Spurs as well as everything else on the site by going to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Um, and right now you can get 33% off a full subscription. We'll be back on Monday, dreaming of the Twin Towers, as people used to say about Wembley. Thank you all for listening. The Athletic.